Hello and welcome to the agenda on the 7th, 7, the 7th, 7, we'll come back to that later. It's the 7th of November 2022, I'm your host Christopher Gallagher, and what is a, okay it's a bit dreich, it's a bit of a dreich day in Glasgow, but you know, the sun is shining within our hearts because of what was a bloody good time over the weekend to quote chris Brown, probably uh i'm chris gallagher as mentioned and we are joined as always by alan edgar hello alan how are you my friend good morning i'm very very good um i was very close to singing my we agenda song that i sang there as well but i just stopped myself which i'm glad of oh listen hey uh, we should set up a, an extra platform just for your wee songs that we could just put out and you know, people- it's just me saying it's the agenda over <laughs> and over again to be honest to uh vague incoherent tune beautiful listen everything's great this week that this week and this day so yes hopefully we'll hear it at some point in the future uh kieran devlin's also here hello kieran how are you my friend i'm good i'm good i don't know why alan saying he says that to uh like an incoherent tune makes it less appealing to hear <laughs> and we're not expecting a masterpiece the the shitter it is i'm sure the more enjoyable everyone will find it so if anything you're just teasing us further i think yeah. Uh, but I'm good. I'm good. Excited to, to discuss everything and go with Alan more and more until he finally breaks down and just sings his song. Yeah, Alan, a whole musical of wee songs about uh, agenda, uh, about cynic podcasts would be del- delightful. No, no, I'll need to add it to the list of songs that I can't sing because um, <laughs> I don't want to take part in any exclusionary singing. Oof, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that. Kieran has a new haircut, and I tell you something. You, you could eat off that haircut. It's so sharp and it's so good. Kieran, talk us through your haircut. Uh, um, <laughs> a little bit... Uh, just a, <laughs> don't know where to go from here. But um, you know how, like... I've, I think I've told it before that the, the, my barber, a uh, really lovely um, woman, uh, Polish woman who... I think I've told her about this. Like she's just every time I learn something new about her, she's got a really fast. She just she just seems like a fascinating person. Another thing I said before that she moved to Scotland because she um, she watched Outlander. The t- I think it was on Amazon that TV show, and she was like, "Oh, look, gorgeous! I'm going to move there." And she's an empath. She described herself as an empath as well. This 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 time another belter of a fun fact about herself. She was she says that um, she likes to do karaoke by herself. She like rent out. Um, there's a place I think it was in George Street. She rents out for about three hours, and she'll just like belt out. Amy, she got she does like six Amy Winehouse numbers and everything. So she really backs herself. So I just that's brilliant. Like this is the entertainment. I think Alan is going on record that he doesn't enjoy barber small talk. I, I I've got I, I've got to admit I do quite enjoy it. I, I think when you've got characters like that, I've got all the time in the world for it. That's the thing about going to karaoke yourself. You could be incredible or you could be awful, and no one will know. So you've got that, you know, inside you. Alan, do you have a karaoke song out of curiosity? No, I don't think so. No, I don't. Sorry, I would be useless in this. Uh... I, I would be struggle as well if your barber's giving you small talk like that. How do you then ask about? You know, if they're going any holidays at this time of year, it's quite the segue. Tricky situation now. Tricky. Um, it has been a, a genuinely fantastic weekend. We'll, we'll talk through everything. It's also, it was Celtic's 135th birthday yesterday, so happy birthday, Celtic. We've got a, a nice, fun opening question. But Alan, how are you? How's things? Uh, how's life? Yeah, all good. Same. 
yeah, magic weekend, as we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, all good. I'm away to Munich this weekend as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Good it's, stuff. It's the end of an HB run of holidays. So um, looking forward to that. And then I'll no doubt be a little bit sad after, as is my want. Uh, you are looking for somewhere to watch the game in Munich? Very much so. Munich um, seems to have a distinct lack of CSCs. Um, so a laptop is the backup option in a pub, but I would rather be in the company of more Celtic fans. I'm travelling with one. So we're looking for two seats in a Celtic supporters club in Munich. So someone can hopefully help us out. If any subscribers knows of such, uh, if you can... DM us on Twitter at 90 Minutes Cynic or send an email at edr at thecynic.co. Try and help Alan out for the big weekend ahead. Uh, Kieran Devlin, how are you, my friend? How's things? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, obviously, Saturday was brought for footballing reasons. Then there was it's like a, a group of friends up here. They all, all, all except me have their birthdays in a run between like late September and early November. So it's been a very, been a lot of hangovers, a lot and a very expensive uh pub trips and everything uh, in, in that time. So it was the last the last of the bunch was on Saturday night as well. Um so very, very hungover. And I think well I would go to like, I was I think um so I was originally watching Arsenal Chelsea just because I I'm absolutely convinced if I watch uh, the Rangers game then they're gonna win so there's no point. And then I got to, to I said Graham posted in one of the chats that I was two, and I was like, oh, brilliant. I clicked it on just as soon as Tavernier got one back. So I was like, right, go and switch it, switch straight off again. So um, I said it in the chat, but everyone, you're all welcome that Rangers lost at the weekend. I I was personally responsible for it. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was great. A very, very lovely welcome. Uh, welcome. Jesus, still two day hangover. A very lovely weekend, uh, all told. Lovely stuff. Uh, I've not had a drink of alcohol in two and a half weeks, so there you go. It's um, well, well done. <laughs> Thank you. Don't know why I said that. Uh, uh, it's, it's not like you're counting. Two and a half weeks. Exactly. Oh, two and a half weeks and ten hours and seventeen minutes. Um, now let's move on. Opening question. So yesterday, and I'd like uh, subscribers, you know, speak to us on Twitter, stick it out on the on the Twitter box at ninety minutes cynic, or even just email us, and we might put something together. Yesterday was the hundred thirty fifth year of Glasgow Celtic. What one moment? makes it all worthwhile for you what one moment do you pin your love for this club on it's kind of a tough one right because obviously you've got lots of moments throughout your time but if you had to choose one moment no matter when it was that would just kind of be the moment that you savor that you take to your kind of i don't want to say take to your grave that's a bit (laughs) that's a bit kind of uh, negative but like if there's one moment that you could kind of put up on a big screen and say that's the moment that defines Celtic for me, what would it be? So as I say, if you're listening to this and you've got a moment, uh, what WhatsApp is or email is and uh, we maybe put something together if we get enough interest. Uh, we'll start with Kieran Devlin. What's what's your what's your one moment, Kieran? Jozo Simunovic, Trebuchet and Kenny Miller <laughs> into the stars, into the cosmos. Um, no, no, but I've got like, I think I've got two... Um, that I have. I think one of them, they're both a bit more, a bit more serious, but I think there's, I do, I do, I know it's a bit of a funny one, but I just, I just, um, the, the night, I think I've talked about it before as one of my favourite memories when I was going, when I was going to games every week, twice a week. Um, when the, 
the old firm game when it was the you know when it was the old firm um, when Ledley scored in the, I think the eleven twelve season, and it was I was I, I still think it's my favourite atmosphere I've seen at Celtic Park the the one nil game um, was it Boxing Day maybe just before Boxing Day I can't remember the exact time but it was just the atmosphere was brilliant everyone was was together and it was just sensational you know we, everyone overplays the best fans of the world people can you know it's a bit of People talk about the, the atmosphere as almost a marketing stunt, whatever, but it didn't feel like that that night. It did feel something special. It did feel like to be part of this this crowd. It was it was special. It was brilliant. It was one of my favourite memories in full stop. Never mind one of my favourite memories supporting Celtic. I think the other one's maybe a bit more, uh, less, less magical, but more, I think, about the credibility of the support for me um, was the response to Bernard Higgins. Um, this might be a bit of a rogue one, but I just I just felt so proud to be part of a part of a support who weren't taking that line down. That uh, they, they, you know, and obviously a big part of that was the Green Brigade and other big supporters groups that they they, they stood up. They weren't they weren't going to be bullied by the club. They weren't going to be bullied by this police officer. They they committed to direct action. They committed by their ideals. And I know it's a bit of a rogue one, but I just feel like there's all that brilliant charity stuff that you know the Green Brigade do with the the food banks and stuff as well and all that contributes to it but I just felt that was a really proud moment for me it really felt like we were together and the sort of direct action the community the the solid the sense of solidarity I think was just I felt really really proud and that is something that I feel is very classically Celtic that is something I like to associate with with Celtic being a Celtic fan with being a member of this community, a member of the support, and 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 it might be a bit of a rogue one compared to <laughs> the the you know the special European nights or the special wins over Rangers. But I think that's something that is as intrinsic to being a, a Celtic fan, a Celtic man, a Celtic person as all the rest. I think, uh, Kieran, that was really nice, really good. Um, yeah, nicely put and nicely kind of described. Um, Alan, what about yourself? When we scored a goal, it was pure great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing and also now trying to think of an alternative memory um, no I think it's, it is a very wide ranging you've got a plethora of options but I, I think I went back to I, I went back to probably it is probably one of the biggest moments and certainly one of the best goals I've scored but the, the day of the, the 6-2 game was genuinely just it's just a, a memory that you know it's just an exceptional day. I grew up obviously watching Celtic um, in my first season ticket was under John Barnes. And that was off the back of, you know, a time when you thought maybe we'd get back to the top. One, one Scottish Cup up until in the first 10 years of my life. And then when Martin O'Neill came in, it, it really signaled, I think, a huge change in what the club could become, would become. And it was, there wasn't any better way to kind of exemplify that than by an emphatic victory. I, w- I wasn't at the 5-1 home game in 98. Um, so to go to a game like that against, you know, a, a team that was largely deemed to just be simply superior to Celtic and for that just to be flipped completely in its head, to play football like that, to score goals like that, um, three in the first, what, 12 minutes on a day like that, genuinely the sun... I mean, I probably every time I remember it, it probably gets warmer and warmer and warmer. But it was just an incredible day, a happy day, just perfect to be honest. And it's quite, 
to have that kind of validation of you put absolutely everything into the club, you support the club, every, everything you've got, it pretty much is your entire childhood because you don't really have much else. And then to go and actually kind of see firsthand with your own eyes, us play like that against, you know, your your rivals and to set the tone for what would just be a remarkable season. It's quite difficult to to top that, to be honest. So there's so many great memories. There's so many great European nights. There's so many great off-the-field moments. But it's difficult to, when you package everything together, I think the 6-2 game to me was just one of the most special occasions in uh, my Celtic viewing history and my childhood, everything about it. So it, it, it probably is a, a runaway winner for me. Um, fantastic as well. Um, <clears throat> me personally, I would say when uh, Tom Boyd lifted the trophy in 1998 to stop 10 in a row, for them was uh, it'll live with me forever. Uh, you know, the, the horrible start to the season, uh, so many doubts, and to come over all that adversity, just absolutely world-class, superb, love it, uh, and... Uh, it will legitimately live with me forever. Um, so fantastic stuff. As I say, uh, you know, we've got the WhatsApp number 07457 402992. Send in your uh, your memories. Um, we might put something together. And uh, yeah, great stuff, Keenan and Alan there. Um, so we'll just give you the agenda for the week. Uh, Monday, we've got the agenda, of course. You're currently listening to it. Drops uh, 1pm every Monday. Tuesday, we've got the review with uh, Graham and Christian, which will be looking back at the game at the weekend uh, from a stats and tactics analysis and going over any other kind of big points from the last week. Wednesday, we've got the preview of Motherwell. Then Wednesday, also, we have got the reaction to Motherwell. Um, Thursday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show and also the Cynic Weekly. Friday, we will have, at midday, we'll have the preview of the Ross County game, and then we'll also have the Late Lunch Club at 6pm. Saturday, we've got the reaction to the Ross County game. And on Sunday, we've got a mystery feature, uh, something I've been working on. Hopefully, it will come out in the punch on Sunday. So, that's your week. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 podcasts for you this week. So, uh, enjoy those, and uh, yeah, we'll consistently update you on them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we've got some news. Um, uh, we're going to talk about. We'll get do the news, then we'll look back at the game against Dundee United. We'll touch on the AGM, and uh, we'll do some other bits as well. But the news: Celtic will sign Yuki Kobayashi for free as contract details emerge on Ange Postecoglou's potential fifth Japanese recruit. Uh, Yuki, Yuki Kobayashi is now clear to set up his impending move to Celtic, and it has been re- revealed that the hoops will get him for nothing. Um, Dan Olowitz said last week it would cost Celtic in the region of £1.5 million to bring the 22-year-old left-sided centre-back in the next window. However, his contract ends uh, on the January 31st and it's understood that money will not change hands. Reports in Japan say the deal is already being agreed and the player has accepted personal terms. So, all of this is, you know, it's not nothing's been confirmed yet. Celtic haven't really mentioned it. We can talk about stuff said in the, the AGM regarding uh, the transfer policy and stuff. But, Kieran, um positive you know we talked about him a little bit last week but the idea of getting a player this age this profile for free you know again it's kind of you know alarm bells ringing in a positive way yeah i'm trying to 
What is that? What is a, a positive alarm bell? What would that be? As would soon as be? as soon as I said it, I, I, I it's that Simpsons uh, bit in the Simpsons. Um, the alarm goes off, and he goes, "Is that a good alarm, Mister Simpson? Do you know what alarm to ever be good?" <laughs> as soon as I said that, <laughs> that says if I sell to this guy, I'm going out of business. Sorry, Keaton. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. It's positive. I'm glad we're shopping in that market again. Um, I'm glad it looks like we are trying to buy players for the system again because. It, it, you know, we talked about it in recent weeks, but the more and more that the the season goes on, and we see more and more of the players brought in the summer, it's quite clear that a lot of them, if not most of them, were not bought with the system in mind. Um, so it's yeah, I think that's it's positive, and I think we've had a lot of success in that market, especially at the value as well. When you know, talk about I think it was almost almost forget that Hitati was brought in for about. One and a half million. <laughs> yeah, um, which you know, is as the season goes on, just seems as more and more of an absolute ridiculous bargain. And yeah, we'll see how his Celtic career ends up. But if he maintains this level or even improves it over the years, then you know you're talking about one of our best bargain signings in a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're doing it. It's obviously positive that we're being proactive and getting those guys in. I think a tiny part of me is a little. Well, obviously, we'll see how it pans out and whether they give a, a tiny amount of compensation so we get them a bit earlier. So obviously, it doesn't, with the, the J-League season not starting until until spring, the new one that is, it wouldn't, you know, it makes sense for him to join. Basically, now the season is over, it makes sense for him to join um, up during the winter break. I'm not sure what the contractual mechanics of that would be. I'm sorry, during the World Cup. Um, but I, I'm, yeah, it'd be a bit of a, Strange one if we do have to wait until early February to see him in a Celtic shirt. And then there's obviously the bedding in period. So that might take a few weeks. It may even take a few months if there's a similar situation with, with Abogard, for example. Um, so, But I think that's looking on the downside. That's me trying to probe for the, the, the downside. The positive thing is we're getting a guy who looks very talented, who looks ex- what we need in a position that we urgently need to improve and get a specific skill set in there. We've talked about it to death that we need a ball playing centre back in there. I just say he's a good profile. He is somebody that we can develop who can hopefully maybe can improve the first team and then you sell for a profit after two or three years. Everything looks great and I'm very happy with it happening. Uh Alan, see in regard to the obviously it's a market that you know this potentially could be our fifth uh, player from the Japanese league. Um what would you say the hit rate is on success? If you were to say, you know, obviously Hatati has been the biggest success out of all of them. The rest of them, how would you kind of rate in regards to huge success or disappointment? I think it's pretty straightforward. It'd be 75%. I think three of the four signings that we've made have had an impact. You can have a separate discussion about consistency and whether they'll continue to improve or whether we've maybe seen the best and that, you know, they might be players that you'd try and improve on in the next 18 months or two years, whatever it is. But I think there's no doubt to this point, Dyson Maeda, Rio Hitati and Kyogo Furuhashi have been an incredible success for Celtic. They've been incredibly frustrating at separate times as well, but that is to be expected. And I think that maybe is the cost of buying players from a completely different market and yeah. there is additional... Um, concerns that come with that in terms of trying to adapt them to the the way we play, trying to adapt them to the culture, the different lifestyle, and, and it is a 
be a culture shock. Um, I can only imagine what it would be like for someone, um, you know, when I was 22, 23 to move from Glasgow and you put me in the heart of um, Tokyo. I, I, I imagine it'd be an extremely difficult adjustment to make um, from absolutely everything, you know, not just in a footballing sense and a food, everything, you know, it's it's quite incredible. So no, I, I think they've, they've been a, a rip-roaring success to be honest. And I think Edigucci at this point in time probably looks like the outlier. Um, injuries have been unfortunate, but he's just not figuring in at all. So you know, that, that that's the course of action. I think the, the thing to kind of expand upon from what Kieran said on the potential signing is that I think it is quite clear now it's an area that we do need. And I know we'll come on, we'll talk about Saturday, but it's quite glaring that it is one of the key areas that we need to improve upon. Um, even with, you know, our potential starting two centre-halves back and fit again, I think it's an area we need an improvement on. And hopefully this is an improvement. And I would be also be optimistic and hopeful that we do what we did last year and have these players, have them come in in the first week in January. Um, I presume that the the ability to have them here as early as possible, you know, there might be a small fee or, or there might be something within that that you need to negotiate, but I would hope that he's a player that you'd be able to bring in so that he can contribute, you know, in the second half of the season in much the same way that Dyson made it and Rio Hattati did last year along with Matt O'Reilly. So I'm optimistic, hopeful of that, but just really pleased that we're, again, we look like we are moving forward and making progress and signing players for areas that we, we do badly need them in. Um, see, regard, we've, we've got a question from um, Stephen. Uh, I'll get to that in just one moment. But just on the, the, the Japanese players, I completely agree. I think, you know, that, you know they've all been a massive success with the exception of Idaguchi, who is the outlier. When do you kind of pull the trigger on maybe moving Idaguchi on? Because we, I, I tell you something, right? See, when we put out, and by the way, the questions we've got again this week are absolutely excellent. Everybody, every time we get, we put out for subscriber questions, they're always really, really good and really, really thoughtful. Um, but we do get a lot of questions about Idaguchi and Abelgard, right? So Abelgard's, a different kettle of fish because at the end of the season he'll probably just return to his, his club, right? Adeguchi's our player, but it has been a year and he's played three times for Celtic. When do you kind of go, this hasn't worked and we're going to move you on or kind of thingy because we, we, we've got a lot of centre defensive midfield and central midfielders it looks like we're going to be looking for more. Kieran, what what do you think? In regards to Edigucci, do you try to move him on in January or do you wait for the summer? I think I think it depends whether we get another one in. I think if we bring do bring in another midfielder, I think then one of one of the other guys are gonna go. As you say, Abogar's gonna stay. Carthy's contract is so long that unless we manage to get a loan for him, um he's gonna be there. Um and it, it does from what we can tell, and trust McCarthy more than Idiguchi at this point, um, just going by game time. So I think if you if you are going to bring someone in, and I do, we do really need reinforcements there. I think we discussed it last week that if we are going to, if the number six is going to be ball playing the entire time, if it isn't, if he's never going to turn to a defensive midfielder, then you do need a number eight, especially one that is a bit more physical that can contribute a lot more defensively than a couple of the options we have there at the moment. Um, and where that leaves, you know, the three defensive midfielders we have, four defensive midfielders, however many you want to quantify it, one of them, one of them needs to move on. For the sake of the squad, 
I think the you know we've talked about it how the squad depth. We're not sure where it stands. It's one weekend it looks good, the other weekend it looks concerning. Um, but I, I think we just have to be ruth. You know, we talked about how we have to be ruthless if we want to improve as a squad, as a team. If if it, if Ange doesn't think Edugaji is going to cut it, and we, we don't know whether that's because he has looked decent in in his in in, in spells when he has played in preseason, he's looked technically okay. Look, he understands the system that it gives you a different dynamic than a lot of the other midfielders. There's stuff you know, I I I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't speak to any agents or anything to ask about like um. You know, I don't have like catch ups with them anymore, so I don't know if if there is something behind the scenes. But like historically, he struggled in England before, and with the culture, he struggled in Spain before with the culture. It could just be that he's just he just really homesick. You know, I think it was something about um, Jesus Navas. You know, he you know he had his time at Man City. But apart from that, apparently he was just always always homesick, and he was just he just hated life when he's not in the south coast of Spain. And yeah, fair play. Yeah, South Coast of Spain is quite seems a nice place to be rather than Manchester. But um I, I do feel like there's there are some people who just they're just culturally and emotionally they just do struggle to be away from home. You Alan, Alan mentioned it just you know, a, a guy in your early twenties transplanting another side of the world with no friends or family. It can be hard and some people um, do struggle it more than others. I do like this is just speculation that I, I think it might be because the other stuff look he did. It looked. He looked. You know. It looked fine. Maybe not spectacular, but it looked okay enough to contribute when we did see him. And the injuries haven't helped. But I do think maybe if we want to be ruthless, if we want like a really decent squad, I think you do bring someone new in that you're confident in contributing in January, and then move on Edigucci or McCarthy. But I think Edigucci is probably the most likely. Jesus, uh, Jesus, Nafe, Jesus Navas and uh, Edigucci in the same sentence, incredible. Um, <laughs> Alan, kind of, I, I guess you would back up Kieran's thoughts, but what would you be looking to do if you were in, in the manager situation? Because as Kieran says rightly, he seems to be really quite far down the pecking order. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And I think you, I think a lot of people do, as you say, they've got a lot of questions about Abelgaard and Edigucci, I don't Fear of the unknown is one thing, but there's an optimism of the unknown as well. And I think we all do hold a candle for one of these guys becoming, you know, a big part of the first team because I think it is an area where we could do with help. Um, I think the starters are fine. We're happy with that. But asking them to play twice a week has been difficult and get that performance up. So with those two players particularly, you're hoping that they've not been able to contribute due to fitness injury. Idiguchi... Very unfortunate, but it hasn't worked out so far. I think in terms of moving him on, it's a more difficult discussion because he has a a lesser body of work to present to other clubs and say, this player can, you know, he, he can do your turn. He can be a real success. It's also, it would be, I presume it would be a significant move for him to, you know, potentially if he was to go back to the J League, it would be seen then as another attempt at playing abroad and, potentially his last attempt at playing in Europe and succeeding. So I think there's probably a little bit more to it. I don't think there's, there would be a big market to move him on. So I, I don't think it would be an easy move to make and you would accept your loss on that. But we go back to, again, that 75% success rate is very, very good. If, if over my lifetime, 75% of Celtic signings had been a success, I think we would be, we'd have a lot more trophies tucked away in, um, in our pocket. So, you know, that's just one of those things. Um, I don't think you're going to make a big improvement financially on Edigucci, but I don't think it would necessarily be easy for 
for him to um to get a move elsewhere in Europe. So it would potentially be would he maybe go back to the J League on loan or you know, I, I don't know, but it's unlikely he's going to make a big impact here and they'll probably include um Abel Garden with that as well. And that if players are good enough, Ange Postacoglu has shown throughout his Celtic career, he will find game time for them to get up to speed. He's done it with Aaron Moy. Um he's done it with a lot of players. And whilst the necessity maybe isn't there with these two players to absolutely throw them in, I think if he felt that they could improve on the first team and improve on the options, he would have done that. And so far, he hasn't. Um, <clears throat> great point. Uh, Stephen Murphy, uh, just a quick one. Um, with the implosion at Mordor, I love that. I absolutely love that. The January window is an opportunity to put our foot on the floor. We, are, we all remember the January 09 window when our only sending was Willow Flood. And how that season finished, we were miles clear in January. Surely the board have learnt from past mistakes, but they never fail to amaze us. Correct, Stephen. And the hope Ange gets them tilt. What positions would the panel like us to strengthen in January? Just say a position, because I think we can touch on this maybe as the weeks go on. But uh, Alan, you mentioned centre half. Would that be your one? Yeah. If I could only have one at this point in time, it would probably be another number eight, to be honest. Oh, okay. If it's between now and end of the season, I would take a number eight. But yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I, I would like more than one because I am extremely greedy. Uh, Kieran, yourself? Uh, I, I, I think number eight is like a very close second, but I would be seven and a half. Um, especially if it does allow them to get up to speed in time for um, Europe next season as well, which is possibly the most important thing. Uh, great stuff, Stephen. Great question. Uh, I think... But it would be between centre half and and number eight for me as well. I think I think everyone can kind of see the deficiencies, or not even the deficiencies, the lack of depth, um, in in certainly in those two positions. Um, there is a position that could be strengthened by someone that we already know, and his name is Vasilis Barkas. That was just it was just a bit of fun. Alan, Alan, no need. Uh, I did not have fun there. I'm having a nice time. Alan, I just, I just, I feel like I'm having flashbacks. To be honest, uh, FC Utrecht goalkeeper coach Harold Wapner believes that a return to Celtic will be the, on the cards for Vasilis Barkas as he's too expensive for the club. Um, asked about whether uh, he would stay at Utrecht. That is a utopia. He has made a transfer for about eight millions, <coughs> eight million pounds or eight euros, sorry, from AAK to Celtic. When I saw that he was available and saw his data on the internet, I advised uh, the head of scouting to take him. I think he's feeling great and he's also performing very well. The first impression that the Greek, <laughs> the first impression was that the Greek would be a line keeper. <laughs> first impression, you know, usually. I think that may be a translation issue. <laughs> but we have seen that this guy also takes the ball outside the five metres. He certainly does. He certainly, certainly does. Um, uh, that's the thing with, like, Barkas. He's he's definitely going to be back. And there will be people who will say, well, he's played well in Holland. What the fuck is wrong with you? I'm, what what I'm, is wrong with you? Everything that's happened this weekend and we're talking about Barkas, I... Feel like I've been missold. Well, my, well, my this friend, podcast. this is this is the news. We have to we have to round up the news. So I'd, they can ha- see if it's a financial. I'd, we'll pay his wages for the rest. Just don't ever have him back in Glasgow. Like I'd mail his stuff to him, mail his gloves to him, whatever he needs. Jesus. Don't come back and get them. We'll just send them to you. And there's nothing against him personally, but the sight of him makes me yeah. feel 
physically ill. So um, I'm glad he's doing well. I hope that he succeeds wherever he goes, but I would be happy to never see him um, in Glasgow again, to be honest, um, unless he's playing against Celtic. Because I reckon, whilst strikers always come back to haunt us, I would fancy our chances if Barkey came back. Um, <laughs> I really fancy our chances. Um, is he so the, yeah, that, there's, there's my thoughts on it. Is he the one guy, is he the one guy that breaks that, that spell of uh, people coming oh, back to haunt us? Aye. 100%. 100%. Keenan, I guess you don't have anything to add. No, not really. I think it's, I think it's the same with the Yeti. I think it's just when these guys come back, they might have, you know, I think they're both having decent enough seasons. Jesus Christ, I can't <laughs> speak to them. Um, seasons, but I just, um, yeah, I think it's just it's done. Saying that, I do think we quite badly need to. I think Hearts fine for the rest of the season, but I do think next summer we badly need a new number one because. His limitations, especially in the Champions League, have been quite badly exposed. Um, so, you know, thank, thank him for all, all of his effort. He's been a really likeable guy and everything. But I think this should be his final season as Celtics number one. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, that's a, that's another discussion that we'll have probably over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, let's move on to the weekend because it was absolutely glorious. Uh, Celtic 4, Dundee United 2, uh, Haxabanovic with two goals, Kyogo and Abada with uh, two goals at the very end of the game, which was... As I said, we did a reaction podcast, which is available. Uh, it's in your, on your RSS feed. It's uh, on the website. It's on the app. It's on. It's all all of the uh, ways to listen. Uh, I lost my voice uh, at the stadium because I was, you know, going absolutely uh, bitch cakes. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, Alan, your kind of thoughts. You were at the game. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I have to bitch cakes. Yeah. Just. Just that, just I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a ticket sent behind you. I need to see what this this involves to be honest. Uh, no. yep. Fine, as you will. <laughs> um Go on, bitch cakes. Bitch cakes. Uh, obviously with Rangers uh, losing gloriously losing to St. Johnson yesterday, which was hilarious. Um actually one of the questions we've got uh, is from a uh, Tony McLaughlin um my question for the panel today, are the Bluebells blue? I used to hear all the time that the Bluebells were blue, but I haven't heard this confirmed for a while now, so just looking to see if anyone on the panel knows if the Bluebells are still blue. Uh, I don't think so, Tony. I, th- I think Tony probably needs to go and ask Kev Murray. I believe he's the <laughs> one who um, confirms or denies such things. Absolutely. Um, I, I, just a glorious weekend. Seven points clear at the top of the league. Uh, we we're very close to dropping points and I think every Barry said it on the reaction he was doing all sorts of maths in his head once Dundee United equalised and how it was going to affect us and I think we all probably did that um, but then to go from there to actually jumping seven points ahead um, Ange said it and he said it in a very kind of I, I like how he said it he said you know I said it when I joined this club at the start that we don't stop and it wasn't just a catchphrase it wasn't just a, a, a marketing tool it's the truth and Alan, it really is the truth because this bloody team just don't stop. Yeah, um, and I actually quite liked, he was almost, um, I don't want to say embarrassed, but he has at pains to point out that it's almost like he doesn't want to say it. It's, it's like the Simpsons meme, you know, say the line and, but <laughs> yeah. he's aware that, like, I realise that, you know, this has grown into become like a way of boiling down his philosophy into, mm-hmm. and it's a very crude way of doing so, but, um, it, you know, it is probably fairly reflective of what he wants the team to do he wants them to in moments when they're ahead in moments when they're not ahead when they're up when they're down he wants them to continue to do the things that he wants them to do and 
sometimes we do it well, sometimes we do it not so well, sometimes you do it um at the same time, both good and bad. And I think Saturday was a good example of that. Um we I thought were really poor and really disappointing in the second half. And then I joked to the system and within ninety seconds they're back on top. And it is, it's incredible. It's you would think that people would learn. I mean I say people are and that makes it sound like I, I was when Dundee United equalised. It was like the world had caved in. It was like the scene in Batman where the stadiums collapses. Um, that that's what it felt like. Very good film reference. But film reference, niche film reference as well. Um, which uh, is extra points, of course. Um, Batman. I, I, I think that. Um, <laughs> I, I think the the important thing is that you do feel like. I mean, there is the great clip. I think it's Hugh Evans, and he's talking as the game's going on. You, you really don't write the team off. And I think Dundee United will be extremely disappointed because obviously I've got a quite a high vantage point to the part like a lot of people. As soon as they scored, they started dropping off and stopped doing what they were doing. And that just played right into our hands. And yeah. we looked, I mean, we, we did look, it didn't feel as if when Dundee United equalised, it's probably a lot of times you're at the part and you think, ah, we're just, it's not going to happen today. And it might just be me. It, it really did feel on um, on Saturday like we did step up a gear immediately. Yeah. And the urgency was there. And I know that the lineup, the way it finished, was maybe not people would think, oh, that's not your strongest. But everyone, it felt that there was an urgency. And you knew, you didn't know we would score, but you knew we would at least have a good go at it. And, you know, the, the stress only lasted, you know, however long, just over a minute. So to hear then people writing us off immediately, I think it's quite surprising given the body of work that the team have shown over the last, you know, 14, 15 months under Ange, it, it was really great. And yeah, that's just, um, I don't think anyone was surprised when we scored, when we scored against Dundee United last year, the overriding emotion was overwhelming joy and almost surprised because we, you know, it was really late. At the weekend there, it was unbridled joy, but there was no surprise in it. Yeah. Um, Keenan, what were your kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, it's quite similar. We went, weren't great. Obviously, we'll come to VAR very shortly. Um, but, yeah, I think it was just one of those, it just the performance wasn't there, but we 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 did the job. We got it over the line. Um, it's just, I think it was one of those games that normally the level of performance is one that you just forget. Like, um, I think was it the 2-1 win over Motherwell a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. That was like, every, I've forgot everything that happened that game. I think everyone's forgot what happened that game. Um but it's the actual the way it panned out is entirely different. Um you know we did, we were a bit profligate. I think Gigi missed a couple of good chances. O'Reilly missed a couple of good chances. And then you, there, there was that thing in the back of mind we could be punished here and then there was just some uh sloppy defending on a couple of occasions. Um that just it just lets lets them in. Um, the faster Starfire and CCV are back together. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to them being paired together again. Um, maybe that'll happen Wednesday. That'd be nice. I really hope. I really hope so. So you know, it feels like he's trying to reintegrate Starfield slowly, not trying to rush him back because I feel that may have aggravated his um, his injury from the summer when he was returned at Kelly. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was a, an annoying one. But I, as Alan says, it just again reaffirms this team's resilience. It's just the, the, the character is unbelievable. They, but they will just pick themselves up. And as Dan described it brilliantly, a, a joke to the system. Even if they weren't playing in, at their at their best for the vast majority of the game, they can just 
which are on when needed. And I think that's just that's a real testament to the character. And, you know, it's it's a really clever header from Kyogo and a brilliant from, finish from Abada. But it was also just just the pace of the passing just picked up two or three levels. The, the intent, like the ambition of it as well. It wasn't just passing around the box and then aimlessly crossing. They were trying to be bold and ambitious with it. And it's, it's just, you know, I, I guess like you said, the thing is, oh, why couldn't we have done that for the 90 minutes? Football is never like that over yeah. a 60 game season. This is just the reality of it. But yeah, it's just, it's brilliant. And it's, it, you know, Alan saying oh, there's, there's that body of work over the 15 months since Angie's been in charge, just over the last three weeks. You know, like the, the St. Johnston game when we scored right at the death and then Hearts coming from behind um, to, to the lead and then the, the gut punch of yet another penalty to, to get it to three each and then still going winning it anyway. And I think it's the the, the Hearts, Hearts game and then this one, it's the second time in which we've been uh, perilously close to, to dropping points and giving up that five-point lead we had. Um, and then immediately, and then we... Save, we'll savage it and then Rangers drop points the same weekend <laughs> so they've been so close to thinking that oh, we could actually claw back in the year and you know we're so close to getting to the top again and then they we we beat them and ruined the weekend and <laughs> when they when they drop points themselves so yeah it's been brilliant I really enjoyed that part of it as well just like giving them the false hope and then just r- r- absolutely rubbing it in it's been brilliant <laughs> yeah I mean <clears throat> the camaraderie in the squad like the, when the goals went in it really is, you know, there's all those still pictures of everyone hugging and all that. And people will just look at that and say, ah, what are you going to do? That's that's just, you know, the elation of scoring a goal. But to me, I, I can read a little bit more into that. I, I just see a, a team that are really, really united, a, a squad of players that are really bonded together. And I think that's something, that's probably the hard, I don't know, it just seems like that's the hardest thing to create in football. It's not necessarily about creating, you know, buying players or integrating them in. It's, it's about creating that squad that bond and you know if you watch a lot of these kind of uh, like 30 for 30 documentaries about american sports for example they always talk about that team bonding and how hard it is to do and i just think we have that and i think that's really really special just um before we get to the var um situation because we have to talk about it um in regards to the performance of haxabanovic allen um he's again just he's hard to pin down uh, I thought he performed really, really well, um, but it's kind of hard to pin down. We, we've talked about him in the eight. We've talked about him out wide. How do you think he performed out wide uh, on Saturday? I thought he, I thought he actually fulfilled the, full, the role. Sorry, really, really well. Um, I don't think. I think it's the first time I've seen him, and he's looked a little bit more natural as a winger. I'd take the goals out of it. I mean, the, the first goal, you know, is straight out the Leo Labada playbook, yeah. um, which is. Uh, you know, it's then helpful that you've got another player in that system who, as I say, can replace that function and do what he's asked to do there. Um, so I think it was a really accomplished performance. Obviously, it's a slight change from him being on the other side again, but I thought he did really well. Um, he is a player that I want to see in the lineup and want to see because I think he's, he's an exceptional talent. It's just, um, where his permanent place is, I think, is still to be decided. So I thought he was really good at the weekend. I think he probably did deserve man of the match. But it's still, I, I wouldn't say it then resolves the question. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him pop up somewhere else. Um, trying to get the best out of Haxabanovich, I think, might be one of the, the kind of more difficult tasks for Ange Postacoglu at this point in time in this team because his, you know, his permanent spot in the team is, I think, still 
yet to be decided. It looks like he will be played as a wide player, but it's just how you how you get the absolute best out of him because he's a spectacular talent. But I think um, there's a bit of work required to to make sure that he can show that on a more regular basis. But Saturday was really good. He took his goal, his first goal well, and you know he gets a wee bit of luck with the second one. But a really good performance. It'll do him the world a good for his confidence, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Kieran, let's let's move on to the the. We'll discuss the penalty call, but we can discuss VAR overall because there was obviously the other one with with uh, Jack Marcus with a potential red card and stuff. But it just took too long. It was infuriating. Um, what was your kind of take on it? It was just horrible. I hate it. I just hate it. It drains. I'm saying the same stuff as I said after the Hearts game, but it's just it drains any joy or the immediacy from the game. I, 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 I sort of checked myself after Hagsabanovich scored the first and the referee gave it. I didn't celebrate because I was like, oh, there's a chance he's offside here and it's going to be taken to VAR. And then, I, you know, I celebrated when VAR gave it, like, you know, 15, 20 seconds later. That's not fun. <laughs> That's not good. That's not, you, you don't, when you celebrate VAR giving something, you don't jump up and down, at least maybe, you know, maybe if it's like a massive, important game but like you just sort of like give like a quiet fist bump to yourself or something it's just I hate it I hate the experience of it, it you know even beyond the the actual penalty call and how it was wrong um, and how like we, you know you're talking about it when when you see something slowed down that much when you see when you have it called back you're second guessing yourself when you see it slowed down and you see it it hits the arm Regardless of the the context and the the speed of play as well, then your your brain is going to think that it's potentially a penalty. But it's just it's just nonsense. It's a nonsense. The entire thing is just so stop start all the way through. Like every time there is even a slight, even like a slightly innocuous foul and the, the pausing game for 25, 30 seconds just to check it, it doesn't. It ruins the quality of the game both as a viewer and as a player because you can't get into a rhythm you can't get into a, like a fluid sense of, of, of the ball movement of the of the game itself you know it's just so stop start all the time and you can tell the players were getting as frustrated by it as the fans were you know that's even before you're getting into the you know the, the questions of you know was was it send, sending off in Gigi I'd say it, it, I'd say I'd say it wasn't but I think it's as clear a booking as you're going to see but they can't give it because the VAR the way the VAR set up is that you, you can't give bookings. It's, it's it's ridiculous. Like the entire thing is there's so many loopholes in it and so many flaws and they're act, they're acting as if these are something that will just be addressed over time, that they'll be worked on over time. It's a bollocks. It's a nonsense. Given how incompetent the refereeing is in Scotland compared to other, you know, more established countries where VAR is still a controversial mess. Like this isn't going to go anyway anytime soon. And I'm just like so demoralised and depressed, as I said earlier, this is this is our football in life now, twice a week for you know <laughs> for, for as long as it's, it's going to be. It could be forever. I don't know. It's just grim. It's just grim having having to always wait for the VAR seal of approval before celebrating a goal. Like I hate it. Um, Alan, I've got a question here from Alistair, and obviously we were both in the stadium. Um, uh, Alistair says um, for the agenda how worried should we be about the impact of VAR delays on number one performance and number two match day experience for me in the stadium I thought it was significant more significant than I thought it would be and I, I tend to agree what's your thoughts Alan? Yeah I think to be honest that's 
that's probably the point that I took away from Saturday. I've seen VAR, you know, a few times. I've seen it in Europe, seen it in Leipzig away. Um, you know, you've experienced both the good and the bad of it. Saturday, though, in a league game, at certain parts, obviously, the first time I've experienced it. it you, three minutes in TV doesn't feel like a long time because you pick up your phone, you know, you go and grab a drink or, you know, you step out for 30 seconds, whatever. At the game, you're just staring at the referee yeah. and it does feel like a really long time. Then what you've got is you've got, what, 23 people on the park who know that everyone in the stadium is just staring at them, waiting for them to, you know, it's the old Billy Conley, day something, day something. It, that It's it's an awful experience. It's not pleasant. What we're told or what we were told and promised was that VAR will work in the background. And we were told, yes, that it will have teething problems. It'll be difficult. But they're taking a really long time to make their decisions. They're taking a really long time and then potentially making the wrong decisions. See if you're sitting, and, and I know this is a point, I know that there's time because they have to watch it, and then they'll discuss it in the VAR room. They have no communication with the outside. See if you're sitting chatting with the person beside you for three minutes saying, do you think this is a penalty? Do you not think this is a penalty? You, likelihood is the referee's not made a clear and obvious error if you're having to take that long to decide. Clear and obvious is something you look at, you look at it three, four times, and you say, that is a penalty. That's not what's happening. Um, and I think that's a frustrating thing. I think Angie's comments after the game um, where, I, I don't know, I'm assuming you're going to come on to maybe what Ange said. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you come in and I'll maybe pick up off the back of that. Yeah. Um, so Ange basically said um, he was very upset with it. Uh, I don't feel think people fell in love with football just to be sitting around waiting for someone in a building miles away to decide outcomes. They do not need to take that long. If you have seven camera angles, it seems like they want to look at every single one. I know it's early doors and it's a new toy that everyone wants to use, but you can't be disrupted, disrupting games like this. It seems like any time the ball touches your hand in the box, apart from when you are playing hearts away, it's a penalty. So if that's the case, they could have seen that in the first screen that it hit Bernabe's arm. Exactly. But why take so long? His arm is in, I think, a natural position when you go up for a header. He's not even looking at it and it's a yellow card. It's the reason I took him off at half... Oh, I didn't realise he said that. It's the reason I took him off at half time. I had no faith that I could keep him on because anything could come across. Oh, I missed that from the weekend. Interesting. This is not me having a rant about VAR. I have no issue with VAR. I just have an issue with how it's being used. It's changing our game. It's changing what we all knew to be the laws of the game. I was always pretty clear what what a handball was. Deliberate handball. I played the game. You kind of know, but it seemed that's not the way. That's the problem we have got now. We have let technology come into the game and rules that have been in place for over a century that we are all comfortable with, all of a sudden having to be looked at. I don't think that's what VAR's here for. That's interesting. Alan, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, th- I think the, I mean, first of all, I love that it's then picked up as, I, I think I've seen them described as launched into a tirade, um, <laughs> which obviously that's a bit of clickbait. I think the really good point and the point that I'd, I'd like to maybe talk about more is that as far as possible, we'll try and take, take tribalism out of it because when VAR gives a decision your way, you think, great, it's done its job. When it gives a decision against you, your instinct is to think that it's meddling, it shouldn't get involved, right? We we can understand and accept that because we're not playing a game right now. We're not watching a game on Saturday. That's how I felt. Post-game, though, I think what it is, is it's quite clear that the the promises of how it was to be used are, being, are not being applied and that you, 
if they decided, look, the rules stay if it's an unnatural position. Unnatural position itself doesn't help referees because you then inevitably ask what is a natural and what is an unnatural position for a person's arm, particularly when you're jumping three feet in the air. But see if you're going to give the penalty. Just give it. Give it. If you're saying it's hit his arm and I don't care, what if his arm's not directly by his side, if it's a penalty, fine. That's it. Just give the penalty. Just give it and move on. Similarly with the potential red card, see if you don't think it's a red card. That's fine. We're still back to the basic points, though, that the referee in the stadium on both occasions decided it wasn't. He didn't think it was a handball. In fact, nobody really in the stadium seemed to notice that it hit his hand. It's fine. You watch it again, you give it. Don't take three minutes to do so. The red card, we're back to the basics of a referee doesn't think that's a foul. That's the bigger issue than VAR. So VAR looking at that, to me, and then taking a minute and a half to decide, nah, we can't do anything. It, It just... I think the salient point here is that it's just it's not being used in the way that we believe or the way that we were promised that it would work in the background and that disruption to the game would be minimal. What we're finding is that disruption to the game is quite severe. Um, one of the things now that I think people hate seeing, and I, I'm sure referees don't like doing it, is a referee standing in the middle of a pitch. Nobody has a, a clue what's going on and he just puts... The referee does, puts his hands to his ear we all know why he's doing that. He can hear fine without putting his finger in his ear. He's doing that because he's dying to tell everyone, look, please bear with me. Please stick with me. It's not me. There, there is not a more visible sign than him communicating, look, I don't know what's, ha- what's happening either, than him just putting his hand to his ear and standing and putting his hand up. You need to, if you're going to do it this way, you're going to use it as often as you are. You're going to have to start communicating it to fans. I think it's a nonsense on Saturday that 60,000 people who paid in, Dundee United fans, Celtic fans, everyone, attended the game, waited three minutes for a penalty decision and then didn't actually get to see what the fuck happened. That is, you've got to communicate it to people in the stadium. That has to happen. If the GG one, if they decide it's not a red card, that's fine, you don't need to show it again. If he does give a red card, you need to show the tackle again because you have a full stadium of people that are just going to abuse referees even more so than usual. And we're told that that's the thing that's to change. I think the weekend there was there was an anti-abuse campaign down south towards referees. You're not helping referees at all because abuse of referees is just going to go through the roof. It's going to get worse and worse. And it's all because you've got someone sitting in a, who has no idea what's happening in the game, no context whatsoever, has no communication with the outside world and can sit for as long as they like and rewatch things until they decide it is, or, is not a penalty or it is or is not a red card. And then that doesn't get communicated. It's just... It's just a recipe for disaster, quite frankly, in, in my opinion. And I think this season, it might get slightly better, but as Kieran says, twice a week for, for the rest of your life. <laughs> I know that sounds grim, but that, that's the reality of it. It's a horrendous experience. I had no idea what was going on after so after the ball comes in and it goes out of play and it's like penalty check. I had I had no idea what was going on. I I think everyone in our section were looking at each other like, what what the hell was that? What's it for? When When was the penalty incident was it right on the edge of the area was it in the middle of the area what's and then because Celtic have got such terrible fucking wi-fi and signal I couldn't even go on my phone to like check not that I should have to go on my phone but just an absolute nightmare Kieran uh, well actually I've got a uh, Paul Gibson uh, has sent in a message um are you the penalty against us on Saturday I don't have an issue it's the current law of the game 
and the law is an ass. My only concern is regarding the how we are officiated compared to those against us. Will these instances be ruled the same for another team in a match? Consistency? Or will it be open open the door for our paranoia? On Saturday, for me, Bernabe's arm was outstretched and maybe his body bigger. The only query I had, did it hit him below the bottom of his armpit? Which I think was a questionable part of the decision. Cheers, Paul. So Paul's happy with it, but again, we go back to the Hearts situation last week, Kieran. It's just inconsistent. We have VAR, we have referees, and we still have inconsistency. Yeah, but I think, I guess, like, it's the same thing with the St. Uh, Johnston penalty GG missed last, uh, not St. Johnston, sorry. Um, well, what, Livingston, yeah, sorry. Uh, Livingston, where he missed it, you know, like, was that was that a penalty? Was the arm in a natural, natural position? I think last week, trying to put the rose tinted glasses off, I think last week's was, was, Dubious, but it was more of a penalty than the one against Bernabeu. But again, this is how ridiculous the situation is because you're getting into the finest of margins of what defines an unnatural position for the arm. Especially, you know, you know, if it if it if it is very close, if it's very close, uh, the distance is short, and the player's not looking at the ball. Never mind intent. Like intent is so irrelevant to the to handball rule now. It is, it is ridiculous. It's, it's entirely now just about this vaguest definition of what is a natural place to put your arm, especially when you're jumping. Like, how many people, unless you're in a free kick and your your brain is processed that you jump with your arms behind your back, how many professional footballers have it in their conscious, like their, their instinct is to jump with both arms behind your back in the middle of a, in the middle of like an active passage of play, you know that your your brain is just focused on block on blocking the ball with your head. You're not entirely sure where your arms are, and sometimes there are very overt cases of that, and um, where the arm is just like you know <laughs> very clearly in a daft position. I don't think that was the case last week against Livingston, and I don't think it was the case against Bernabe. It's as it is just like the inconsistency. Like I think with the Hearts one was, I think the Hearts one is probably the most obvious of them all. I think that's the one where, like, you do say that is the clearest example of uh, an unnatural position, but it is just so vague, and it's all down to the, the interpretation of the law. And clearly, you're not going to have any clear interpretation across the different referees, across the people looking at VAR. Um, so it's 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 a nonsense, and it's been ridiculous. And I think, as you know, as, as I say, there's going to this isn't going to be the last time this happens to us or to another team we're playing against. It's just going to be all the way through the season until at the because at the very earliest that IFAB or the SFA or anyone can probably identify it will be next summer. So fuck, I don't know. It's going to be grim. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Uh, question about the actual game. Uh, this is from Liam Flynn. Hello, Liam. Uh, obviously, a great weekend, but I wish Andrew'd stop making subs on sixteen seventy minutes for the sake of it. And then he puts in brackets. I know he's probably getting told by sports science players should only play a certain amount of time. There's no way Haxabanovich should have come off at just 2-1. It nearly cost us some, uh, the same as the subs at St. Johnson. Um, the subs have been a very kind of contentious point for, for a lot of the support, just with who comes on and when and what that does for how the game, the team plays. Alan, what's your, what's your kind of what's your kind of thoughts on that? Because um, it is something that we, we, we talk about more and more. Yeah, we do. And I think, um, I think the jury is very much out on the bulk substitutions at one time. 
I think that might be more down to us than anyone else because we think that that then makes it feel like a friendly. So that's maybe more of a fan issue than a player or coach's issue. I think at the weekend, I think the team did drop off a lot in the second half. Um, and I think the, the theory should be then it would inject energy and in, into the game, but it, it didn't seem to help particularly defensively at the weekend. Actually, it did appear quite disruptive in a defensive sense. I think going forward, I think the players who come on actually did make an impact. Even before the goal, they really didn't help us defensively. And we did start to open up quite badly. And you've seen that. I mean, the James Forrest one, obviously, I love Jamesy. You'll not, you'll not have a better example of a player switching off entirely. Um, you know, that is very much not the we don't stop mentality. That is the exact opposite. So, uh, I mean... I don't know what the solution is. Would it make that much more of a difference if he does two subs, then waits five minutes and makes another two? I, maybe not. Um, but I, I do agree when you see the bulk substitutions on that kind of hour mark, you really are, you need those players to come in and make a bigger impact quicker. Um, and I think it's the first time at the weekend I've noticed that sometimes players come on and they don't make the impact going forward. This weekend's the first real example of actually we certainly in a domestic league game of us really suffering defensively because of the changes, you know, players not communicating properly. It did look really disjointed defensively and the substitutions did not help with that at all. I think Haxivanovic had dropped off a bit the second half, you know, other players, their fitness. It, it, it just seemed odd. Some of the subs were odd, I felt, you know, David Turnbull lasted, I don't know exactly what, what minutes he came off in, but he would have been the one I'd have been looking at at a much earlier stage and saying, you know, you've not played a lot and you're not playing particularly well today and you're not making a positive impact. So it does appear to, I think it lends weight maybe to the argument that the subs are somewhat predefined as opposed to reacting to their performance in the pitch because I certainly wouldn't be questioning Ange Postacoglu, but... David Turnbull did not appear to be having a particularly successful game and he hasn't played a lot of football. He would have been, to me, a, a fairly obvious candidate. So I think it maybe does lend weight to the idea that these minutes are largely decided in advance and who you would like to see get game time and who maybe needs less game time. I think that's um, maybe maybe where we're going. So the likelihood is I don't think it will change too much anytime soon. Uh, great stuff. I mean, ultimately, the, the, you really just can't whack a last minute winner because it's pure heavy class and uh, I, Kieran how did you respond did you pure jump up and down and all that no because I was watching the bar I was, <laughs> like, it was just like right, this is going to be this is going to be a road out somehow like I don't know they, they'll claim Maeda is interfering with play or something um, like I, I, I once once like after a couple of seconds then I did I did I did go a bit crazy for it, but I, I, I did just, it just took me some time. I did, I did, I just, I just waited for something to go wrong because this is how VAR reprograms your brain, it rewires your brain. Because, you know, as they're always going to have like a cynical instinct that there's going to be some bullshit, re, something is going to happen here that they're going to use to rule it out. Just to justify them having VAR in the first place, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't like it. Um, on, on the on the subs, I think I do agree. It, it just feels more and more like I'm just so focused about the 
not running his players into the ground. I think last season, you know, it was a our levels of injuries was a traumatising experience for fans. Just seeing, but well, it must have been really difficult for Ange. Every, you know, you're starting to get a good run of performances and results, particularly in November and December. And then, but you, you know, you get a good win. But then, two of your players come off with hamstring injuries. I think he's so conscious of that that he's just like, he's rotating so much and giving players game time as a way to to avoid that. But as as you say, like it just feels like rotation and game time being handed out for the sake of it, rather than to actually address performances that happen on the pitch or or it, you know deficiencies, etc. It is a is a is a is a funny one. And you know we keep well, every time there's a transfer window coming up, you're thinking, oh, once we get, you know, once we have proper squad depth in this position, that will stop, and we start bringing in players. You know, we'll have once we have two good players in every position, then we can be more confident with the rotation. I feel like the problems that are happening on the pitch are being addressed. We've been saying that for about twelve months now, and it's not really changed. Again, no. This is not to address like such a, a, a brilliant manager who knows exactly what he's doing, but I do. Th- you know, I think people have talked about it, especially in the Champions League games. Game management, he hasn't really shown game management to be a strength so far. Um, and and you know, we'll wait and see how that changes over time. But it is a little concern. It's one one concern over a weekend in which otherwise there was so much right. Um, see in the future when I ask him, um, how did you enjoy jumping about? Um, just, just say aye just say aye yeah. that'd be class good <laughs> um, Alan uh, just kind of final thoughts on the game um, it, I mean the weekend the fact that Rangers dropped points I mean I watched that St Johnson game and I was purring uh, with uh, delight uh, eating my uh, cereal watching the Rangers game purring with delight can I be a bowl of cereal at lunchtime on a Sunday afternoon Miller champions. Um, yeah, it, it was great. It really was, and I think I, the celebrations, the jumping up and down, was largely aimed towards the referee. To be honest, so um, I did enjoy that. I don't think he heard me from Row Double D and the Jockstein upper, but I certainly gave it a good try. Um, it was great. It, it really was, and scoring the fourth just felt like a really good. It's it's like even now, late goals aren't enough to edge out games. Now we're going to give you the slight joy of it going to each late on, and then we're going to go and win 4-2 anyway. Um, it was brilliant, and Nevada's finish was superb. There's loads of negatives from the game. Um, I think Jens' performance, I don't want to say it's final nail in the coffin stuff, but he's making a lot of mistakes, and he's making them in all types of games. So, yeah. look, good against Real Madrid at home, and then really poor against St Mirren away, really poor against Dundee United at home. It's it's just the inconsistency. It's hard to get your head around that. So I'm probably similar with Kieran that I'd be delighted to see a, a favour two back from Wednesday. But if you had offered me this weekend, it can pan out exactly how it did. Then I would I would love it. If every weekend was like that, then life would just quite simply be much much nicer. Um, and Rangers dropping points yesterday is just incredible because I know that we try and get into the mindset of last year we it was just about us and we do what we do this year is different and I think Ange talked about it a lot at the start of this season the way we approached last year was because of the dynamics of last year that we started so far behind that actually it was important that we didn't focus on Rangers we're not focusing on Rangers now but see if they want to go and shoot their foot off every weekend We'll have the right to sit and enjoy it, especially when we've tucked our three points away. So, 
brilliant. Loved it. Thoroughly deserved points for the Super Jays yesterday. Was absolutely delighted. Um, and roll on Wednesday night. Um, I saw on Twitter about people saying, get Kevin Thompson in. Get Neil McCann in. Oh, it's good to see you still follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please, God, get a, a super uh, appointment of Kevin Toms, even till the end of the season. I would be can fucking I, class, man. Can I just point out as well, I, I think I mentioned last week in the weekly, I'm a big um, consumer of Scottish football mainstream media. Um, I listen to Clyde quite a lot, particularly on certain occasions. I'll be listening tonight, you better believe it, and I listen to Sports Sound at the weekend a lot. Um, usually in the background when I'm doing other things, but I do listen. See the cast of characters that get wheeled out to <laughs> appear on these shows. I can complain about it, but I wouldn't have changed it in the slightest yesterday. I mean, hearing the complete collapse of Neil McCann yesterday on Sports Sound was just, I mean, I've not watched Sports Scene yet, but just listen to Sports Sound. It's just great. I mean, it's worth it. David Martindale on Saturday, I think someone clipped it up and put it on. Um, on Twitter, Kenny McIntyre at one point says when Celtic go three two up, the presenter of the independent BBC Radio Scotland show Sports Sound, when Celtic scored a third, just says there's a beautiful poetic pause in what he says. He describes Celtic scoring and he just goes unbelievable. <laughs> it is it is so so good. Um, I mean. Anybody, if you pay your license fee, I mean, I'd, I feel like writing a check and slapping, slapping down another 150 quid or whatever it is and saying fucking double your content as a bargain. Superb. If anyone has not watched the treble, uh, the Martin O'Neill first treble with Tony Roper when he says something along the lines of unbelievable, and that's maybe a little Easter egg, put it on the day and, and listen to it because it's unbelievable. Um, let's uh, listen. Um, yeah. Let's go to the Colt Report. Celtic B rounded off the UEFA Youth League campaign last week as they took on Real Madrid in the Spanish capital. It's been a tricky European campaign for the youngsters picking up just one victory, which was a standout highlight following a 2-1-1 over RB Leipzig in Germany. Heading over to Madrid, the boys would have been looking to round things off on a high, but it was always bound to be an extremely difficult test against a world-class academy side. Darren Dane's team at Manus made just one change to the team, which suffered defeat in the final European home game to Shakhtar Donetsk. Kenzie Karsh returned to the base in the midfield, replacing Daniel Kelly, while Ben Summers also recovered in time from his knock, which forced him off last week. A strong start was needed if they were hoping to impose their game, however it couldn't have gotten off to a much worse start for Celtic. The Hoops found themselves go two goals down within the first 10 minutes, which included conceding within 10 seconds of kick-off, as well as conceding early on Toby Oloyemi made a series of great saves to keep the scoreline at just two. After sustaining the pressure in the opening stages, Celtic then broke into their stride and showcased a moment of quality, pulling a goal back to make it 2-1. Adam Brooks was on hand to finish a well-worked move down the right-hand side between Ben McPherson and Rocco Vata. Despite the positivity that came from that goal, ultimately it was the home side who were able to grab the all-important fourth strike before the half-time whistle, catching Celtic out on the break. Going into the second half, the coaching Joe made a tactical tweak, which made it more difficult for the Real side, who had already wrapped up all three points. That was made certain with around 10 minutes of play left, as one of the Los Blancos youngsters produced a fantastic left foot to strike to make it 4-1. It would have been an incredible learning experience for this young side playing against some top academy teams such as Real Madrid. But shortly after their trip to Spain, it was back down to reality as the boys returned to league action facing off against Open Goldbroom Hill. After picking up some form in recent weeks, the team managed by former Celtic academy player Cy Ferry were going to provide another good test at the Excelsior Stadium, looking to bounce back from defeats in the last few weeks to the likes of Real Madrid, Shakhtar, RB Leipzig, Film and Cumbernauld Colts, it was produced a top first half display to take a 3-1 lead and at the break. 
Rocco Vata opened the scoring early on before Montrose Loney, Martin Rennie struck back for the away side. However, before the break, Adam Brooks and Ben Summers were able to get on the score sheet and open up a two-goal advantage after 45 minutes. Lennox Town hopefuls carried over their strong end to half as Vata added to his tally for the afternoon within minutes. It took until the latter stages of the game for the next goal to come and it fell the way of substitute Joey Dawson who added a fifth for Celtic with 10 minutes remaining. And the goals weren't done there as open goal Brimhill pulled further strike back before Vata rounded off his day with a hat-trick and making it an emphatic victory for Celtic who came away with 6-2 winners in Airdrie. It could prove to be a big confidence booster for the youngsters who picked up their first victory since the start of October. Now the focus will be firmly on domestic action for the coming month as they prepare for a trip to take on East Stirlingshire Wednesday evening. Great stuff from Lewis Laird as always, keeping us up to date with the, the Colt team, the B team, and uh, check him out on Twitter at LewisLaird01. He does a power of fantastic work. Um, Celtic Ford and the United 2, we do have a reaction in which we recorded live at the 13th note. Uh, when we come back after the uh, World Cup, we'll be doing a lot more reactions for the home games. We'll be recording a lot more of them live, so that'll be something to look out for. Um, and we will be, uh, yeah, we'll be covering, we're going to cover the, the two games in Sydney, but one of the games is at like three in the morning, so I, 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 I Dare to say you might not get an instant reaction to that, but we will react to that game definitely. Um, but as disgusting. I say, yeah, disgusting. I, 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 well, do you want to react then, Alan? Okay, we'll, we'll stick. No, out. I'm fine. I'll just I look forward to waiting up in the morning and my podcast being there in the app so that I can sit and have my cereal at eight a.m. and you can tell me what happens in that vitally important Celtic game. Oh, so you won't be watching it? Oh, okay. Sometimes. No, absolutely not. I am. If you think I'm getting up quarter to four in the morning to watch us play fucking Everton in a pre-season friendly, you are off your nut. I might actually, but. I mean, I mean, there's 100% you will. I know that. Uh, fact. Well, uh, I might um, not remember it right enough. Is it, do you get up early or do you stay up late? Mm. Oof, the, uh, the, the the foibles of a pro wrestling fan. <laughs> um, there is a reaction to the Celtic uh, for the United 2 game. Uh, so listen out for that it was myself Christopher Bowd and uh, Barry Gallagher which was a, a real joy to record. Um, we've had lots of emails this morning we're not going to be able to get through all of them what we'll do is we'll you we'll save these emails and a uh, whatsapps for the weekly on on thursday because a lot of them are just relative to celtic at the moment we'll also go over some of the agm points the main points from the agm on thursday as well um with myself alan and christopher sermani um one question we're going to finish on it's from uh, gregory clark uh, this will be our uh, final uh, question, uh, finishing up. Uh, all right, wonderful people. My question centres around the value of our squad members and who might top the dispensable asset league table, the D the DELT, ahead of the inevitable upgrade Ange alluded to last week in both the January and summer transfer windows. Who should leave in the summer based on how important they actually are to the team and the fee they'd command despite their actual contribution? Personally, the two I'd sell based on this criteria are Abada and Juranovic. Abada's very young with a phenomenal set of stats and fantastic growth potential, but I fear the Champions League, even for next season, is a step too far for him. And a Crystal Palace or Brighton would likely take a punt for a solid fee. Juranovic is 27, a Croatia regular and an international reputation, probably sufficient to get him a great move. Are we disappointed by Champions League contribution, though? I know I am. Let me know what you think. Hail, hail from me. The feel-good CSE. Cheers, Trips, uh, Gregory Clark. Um, really good point. 
again, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. We talked about it briefly on Friday about Ange's aggressive and agile approach to transfers and essentially don't get too used to players coming in because there's going to be a big turnaround of players. Um, who would top your uh, dispensable asset league table, Alan? I think actually what Gregory said with Abada and Juranovic is, is quite good. Um, what about yourself, Alan? And we'll come to you here in a moment. Alan? Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's reasonable. Um, the only thing about a, a lot of the time, these transfers aren't the ones that you want. They're not the dispensable ones. They tend to be like, I mean, I'll, I'll throw the name out there. He's not dispensable at all, in my opinion. But there's no one in the squad other than probably Cal McGregor I think is indispensable. And I think that is because we have coped largely without key players for pretty much all of Ange's time. Kyogo, Kalmak, CCV. We've done it without these players, Jota, JJ. So I, I don't disagree. I think the two there, I think Joseph Dranovich, I think particularly the Champions League campaign, I think people maybe are a little bit more comfortable now with the notion of selling them at a significant profit and then hopefully dipping into the market and bringing someone else in. Um, I'd maybe look at, I think, David Turnbull, another one. Um, I think Leila Bada will have a high value and he has scored goals across all kind of competitions with the exception um, of Champions League. But his age, there is definitely a mark. We think it's a big secret that, you know, his performances sometimes are, you know, if he's not scoring, then he's not making an impact. Teams will watch that. They will watch everything he's done. So there is no... um, there is no secrets, really, um, I suppose, as much as we would like it to be. We'd like to show teams' goal record and see how much we'd like to pay, but it didn't quite work like that. Um, I think the interesting one will be the two strikers. I think both have a value. Gigi has shown that he can score goals consistently, and Kyogo has shown uh, an ability and a, a talent that is really significant. But there does feel an, a slight niggle there in that we might want to go into the market if you do go into the market for a, a starting striker, I think one of them would probably have to move on. So, um, yeah, I think I'm more than comfortable at the moment with the the, the approach. And I think Ange signposting his last week at the AGM, I think highlights that you might see a big player go. Um, it is difficult to see in what scenario that player's not Jota, I'm afraid, because he is just a, an exceptional oh, talent. Whoa, 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 Don't say that. That's the only Sorry, man. That's the only Sorry, mate. Oh, no. It just feels like he has a really, really incredible talent. He's your big player. He was the one you spent big money on. He is worth, immediately worth more than you paid for him. And it's just my own personal opinion. I do feel as if Andrew was signposting as a little to see the guys that you love and that you sing about. One of them might go. And of all of them, the one that I think teams will be keeping tabs on, I don't doubt for a second, is, is Jota. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm just being, maybe just comforting myself. But to me, it's not. We're not, I'm not as attached, uh, not attached isn't the right expression. I'm comfortable losing players more now than I would have been two or three years ago. The idea of losing Tierney, Edward, it just felt that our success was really hinged upon that individual ability. If we've still got the manager and they get something to spend, I do trust that we can replace these players as incredibly talented as they are. We might not get like for like, but I largely trust that we'd be able to succeed at least domestically with and replacing even players like Jota's ability. But, you know, if we need to lock him in a basement, so be it. <laughs> Alan's famous basement. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I think Juranovic's a badder, and I think Turnbull is the other one. I think Turnbull you don't get as much money for as a badder or Juranovic. I think you are talking seven figures instead of eight. 
um, where the other ones I think you probably could get eight figures. And at this point, I think Turnbull's value has fallen off a cliff this season because he's 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 been poor um, to be generous, to be diplomatic. Um, so I, I do think I I wouldn't be. I I think he's a good player, but I he's just really struggled to adapt to the system. Um, you can contributed a lot last year, but I don't know what's happened. I thought this year might kick on and maybe properly challenge Atati and O'Reilly, but the gulf between those two and Turnbull is massive at this point. So, and I think well, you can still make money back, well, you can still make even a profit on him because we did spend what four million over four million quid on him. That has a lot of money for clubs to pay for. Um, so I do think well, we can still make even a slight profit on him. I wouldn't be amiss to selling him in January. And as I say, that also opens up space for that number, number eight, who is system-specific to come in. I think I'm maybe less um, optimistic about who we bring in than Alan is after the summer because, as I said, it's very clear that we didn't sign players for Andrew's system to perform specific roles in the summer at this point. Um, it did seem we just did deals because they were easy to do or because we had contacts. You know, I, I've mentioned it before, but we didn't really have a transfer policy placed in the summer. We were using consultants um, rather than having, you know, because uh, Mark Lowell didn't start until late August, I think. So it was just a bit of, well, it was a complete mess in hindsight. And, you know, and, you know people talk about, oh, Ange brought so-and-so in. Ange didn't, you know, he's not, he's busy coaching the first team. He, is, he isn't involved in the minutiae of transfers. Um, so I think this is where I think I'm still to be convinced again that we have a really coherent transfer plan for January and beyond because the summer was a bit of a letdown. Um, so, you know, Kobayashi is a really promising start, but I think I'd be a little wary of letting someone like Juranovic, who is still a first-choice right-back go, unless I'd be confident that we do bring in a start 11 quality right back who improves the first team and suits the system. Um, I'm not confident our recruitment team can well deliver that yet. Um, I do think they need to sort of <laughs> regain some credibility after the summer. Uh, interesting points, and we will definitely be going into this a little bit more. And as I say, <clears throat> on the weekly, we'll, we'll do some uh, highlights from the AGM, and obviously we've got a uh, reaction to the Motherwell game coming up and the big Ross County game at the weekend um, this has been fantastic as always uh, also just the point Alan made about not having an emotional attachment to the players as much as you used to I'm very much on that boat um, very interesting how things change but that's interesting um great stuff really appreciated uh, all the questions and comments as i say the ones that we didn't get to this morning we'll get to this week so don't worry your your points will be made um but alan edgar pleasure as always sir thanks very much for having me just uh, another positive week another positive week kieran gallagher kieran gallagher that's one of my close friends oh, congratulations uh, lads uh, yeah, yeah kieran gallagher will more than likely be listening kieran devlin pleasure sir there's all mine looking forward to wednesday Great stuff. Uh, from Alan, from Kieran, from myself, Christopher Gallagher, this has been the agenda on a week of plenty of cynic content. Uh, we'll speak to you down the road. Yeah.